This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. I want to start by telling you a bit of the story of what happened at the beginning of this year. At the very beginning of 2018, uh, as actually happens every year, the Christ Central team based in the UK, the core team, meet to pray and fast for a day, just one day, I'll have you know. You probably noticed it's not more than one day, but we do pray and fast for one day, and we always invite a prophetic voice into that time from outside of Christ Central, a friend, someone that we trust, we know, and that we love. In the last few years, we've invited our good friend, I can't see him, there he is, Dave Fellingham, to come. That was Dave who brought that really inspiring, that amazing, incredible interpretation. Wasn't that wonderful, that interpretation of of Roger's tongue? It's just incredible. Well, Dave was with us, and Dave has been with us several times, and almost every time Dave comes, He messes with my mind. He does something, he stirs me. And actually, it's a really good thing. In fact, fellow apostles, I want to encourage you, always link yourself with the prophetic. It's the the apostolic and prophetic foundation. And I think we're amiss, actually, if we just become apostolic on our own, or we leave the prophetic to be on its own. Both have dangers and problems, which we won't go into tonight, but actually if you bring the two together, there's an explosion of God's presence and God's speaking to us in a context where we then have authority and wisdom to outwork what God's saying. And Dave prophesied, first of all, he was very nice to me. It disarmed me. It kind of caught me off guard. He said, Jeremy... He said, amongst the apostles, he said, you have wisdom. And he said, uh, you know, we, we, we feel, I feel very privileged to, to be a friend. And I thought, this is wonderful. This is great. I'm just receiving this. But he said, Jeremy, you've got too safe. I thought, oh, no. I just wanted that affirmation. Just tell me how good I am again. Just tell me how much you like me. No, no. He said, no, Jeremy, you've got too safe. And I have a word for you. And it's this reckless apostolic wisdom, that God wants to give you some reckless faith. God wants to give you some faith to stir the people of God to exploits. And you've got far too safe with things. God wants to stir it in you again. And since then, I've been doing, as I have been doing for many years, the Bible in one year. In that, I've been really stirred by the exploits of people who've just broken ranks in the, in the Bible, people like Joshua, who just have faith to press through and take territory. People like Gideon, who actually aren't very impressive at first, but when the Spirit of God comes on them, faith arises and they do great exploits. They break ranks. They do something unexpected that God tells them to do and things happen. I've been impressed by people like Jonathan and his armor bearer and God's with us. Go, you do what's in your heart. And yeah, I mean, Jonathan makes this amazing statement. Well, maybe God's with us. Who knows? It's like, well, I think God's with us. Like, yeah, let's go for it. And actually, they break ranks and they rout the enemy. But the one that's just got me, 
The one that's just really stirred me, amazingly enough, Rachel, you referred to it right at the beginning, you didn't know what I was going to speak on, but Rachel referred to David and Goliath. And uh, fascinatingly, I've just been really stirred by that story, but quite intimidated by it because it's such a familiar story, isn't it? All of us know the story of David and Goliath, and it's become a popular myth in our day. You know, we even talk about young companies or young people in their emerging who come across the Goliaths of their uh, other company. We talk about it in all sorts of settings, David and Goliath. But actually, this is the original. This is the real story of faith. And I feel tonight it's going to grip us. It's going to touch our hearts. Now, I'm going to read it to you in the message I won't say translation, the message version, just because it grips afresh. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're not going to have it on the screens because it's going to confuse you. That's the NIV. This is the message. The Philistines drew up their troops for battle. The Philistines were on one hill and the Israelites were on the opposing hill with a valley between them. A giant nearly 10 feet tall, stepped out from the Philistines out into the open. Goliath from Gath. Now, Gath's important, remember that. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was dressed in scaly armor. That's important. Nine stone of it. Nine stone of armor. There's people here who don't weigh nine stone. Nine stone of armor. That's not in the text. He wore bronze shin guards and carries a bronze Sword. His spear was like a fence post, and the spear tip alone weighed over a stone. Goliath stood there and called out to the Israelite troops, Why bother with your whole army? Am I not Philistine enough for you? Pick your best fighter and pick him against me. If he gets the upper hand and kills me, then the Philistines will be your slaves. <laughs> but if I get the upper hand and kill him, you'll become our slaves and serve us. I challenge the troops of Israel this day. Give me a man. Give me a man. And let us fight it out together. Well, when Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified and lost all hope. <laughs> Enter David. What a great sentence. Enter David. Jesse had told his son, David, take this and run down to your brothers in the camp. But David was up at the crack of dawn and arrived at the camp early, just as the army was moving out into battle formation. Goliath of Gath, remember that, that's important, stepped out from the front lines of the Philistines and gave his usual challenge. David heard him. The Israelites, to a man, fell back the moment they saw the giant, totally frightened. But David asked, who does he think he is? This uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of the living God. The things that David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul. Saul's the king, don't forget. Saul sent for him. Master, David said, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. Saul answered David, You can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. He's been at this fighting business even before you were born. 
David said, yeah, but I've been a shepherd. I've been tending sheep for my father, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down, and rescue the lamb. And if it turned on me, I'd just grab it by the throat, wring its neck, and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference to me. I killed it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who's taunting the troops of the living God. And God, who delivered me from the teeth of lion and the claws of a bear, will deliver me from this Philistine. And Saul said, go and God help you. <laughs> then Saul outfitted David as a soldier in his army. He put a bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over the armor. And David tried to walk. He could hardly budge. David said to Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it off. Then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the brook, and put them into his pocket of his shepherd's bag. And then with his sling in his hand, he approached Goliath. As the Philistine, I mean, this is so funny. As the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield bearer in front of him, he suddenly noticed David. He took one look at him and sneered, a mere youngster? The Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog? No, wrong voice. Am I a dog? They <laughs> I'm not, this is Ali's territory, not mine. She's the actor. Am I a dog that you should come after me with a stick? And he cursed them by the gods and said, Come on, I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards, and I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the mice. David answered, You come at me with sword and spear and battle axe, but I come at you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel's armies, who you curse and mock. This very day, God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you. Cut off your head and serve up your body to the bodies and your, the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and the coyotes. The whole earth will know that there is an extraordinary God in Israel. And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of swords and spears because the battle belongs to the Lord. And he's handing you to us on a platter. That roused the Philistine. <laughs> and he started towards David. But David took off from the front line, running towards the Philistine. And David reached into his pocket for a stone. He slung it and it hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone. And the Philistine crashed face down in the dirt. Then David ran up to the Philistine and stood over him. He pulled the giant's sword from his sheath and finished the job off by cutting off his head. You can cheer, it's good. When the Philistines saw that their great champion was dead, they scattered, running for their lives. And the men of Israel and Judah were up on their feet shouting. They chased the Philistines all the way to Gath. Remember, Gath is important. And they looted their camp. And David, this is the last line, but this is one of the best lines. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. This is magnificent story. 
we're talking about being part of the story. Dear friends, I want you to know you are part of this story. This story is going to live for us today. See, the context is this. God had anointed young David as king. The previous chapter, chapter 16, Samuel had turned up at David's house and said to Jesse, his father, I've come to anoint the king. And one by one, the seven sons of Jesse came before Samuel. And Samuel said, no, 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 no. Have you not got another? Well, there is David. I mean, he says he's got seven sons. No, there is actually an eighth. There is David, overlooked, forgotten, probably not really wanted, out in the looking after the sheep, not a glamorous profession. Well, let's bring him in anyway. This is the one. The Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And suddenly, Samuel's laying hands on David. The Spirit of the Lord. It says this. The Spirit of the Lord rushed on David. He actually flooded himself on David. And so David was full of the Holy Spirit and power. And went out and wrote a few more worship songs. Yes, but... This is going to be tested. Dear friends, there's going to be times in this event and in your life when you're going to, be, you're going to sense the call of God. You're going to sense God's on me for this. God's calling me for things. And you're going to sense the rushing on of the Holy Spirit. But I want to say to you, almost every time that happens in the Bible, it comes with a test. It comes with a challenge afterwards. God puts his anointing to the test. Are we going to operate out of God's anointing? Are we going to operate out of a sense of God with us? Or are we just going to operate out of human wisdom and human ability? And it happens time and time again. We haven't got time to look at it, but the most obvious one, of course, would be our Lord Jesus. When the Spirit of the God comes on him in his baptism, straight away it's into the wilderness, it's test and it's battle. Right the next chapter here, David is facing the battle. And the champion Goliath, almost 10 feet of muscle, is taunting the people of God over the valley. It goes on probably for some 40 days, some six weeks, day after day after day. This man is taunting the people of God. And the people of God are focused on the wrong thing. They're looking at Goliath. They're looking at the problem. All that happens is they see and fear his intimidation. That's all they can see. That's what fills their minds. They're not looking at anything else. They're looking at Goliath. He's pretty impressive. He's hard not to look at. He's hard not to notice. And his taunts are intimidating. Dear friends, there are taunts of the enemy. There are intimidations of the enemy that come against the people of God. And it's just the same today. The enemy taunts. And there are some things he says. They should not have looked at him because they should have known that the Lord doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. God's not impressed by Goliath, but sometimes the people of God are. And you listen to the taunts of the enemy. You listen to what he says. The great taunt about finances. See, that was magnificent, wasn't it, with Joseph today? coming up, talking about the widow of Zarephath and her faith, giving it all. And the enemy says, you're stupid. You can't afford to give. 
You can't do this. You can't act in faith. I know your bank account. I know the red bills that are coming. I know the problems that you've got. I know what your overdraft is like. I'm taunting you. I'm saying you can't do it. You're pathetic. You're a weakling. You're just a young whippersnapper. You are not going to overcome this one. And the enemy taunts us. You'll never get that building. You'll never get that house. You'll never get that job. You... Have a look at yourself. You're just a young boy. You're just a kid. And you think you're all grown up. No, you can't even manage the armor properly. You can't even graduate into an army. Who do you think you are? You're nothing. You're a nobody. And the enemy taunts us. Dear friends, he taunts us in other areas. He taunts us with sickness and disease. That was so powerful tonight, Rachel's story. It was just magnificent. But even some of us at that time were tempted to be cynical. Which, oh, that's, yeah, probably, probably just lucky. Lucky? Oh, probably, you know, that would have happened. No, it was years. And suddenly God broke in. But we get cynical, particularly us in the UK. Our African friends, no. Our friends in Ghana, no. Our friends in the UK, yes. We do get very cynical about things. And, oh, probably this and probably that. And I'm not sure. And was it this and was it that? And we, we explain it all away. And Goliath taunts us with our cynicism. He plays into it. It's just made up. It's just manipulated. It's just crowd. It's just like some magic person calling things out. Of course, there's going to be somebody with a bad back in an audience of 2,000 people. You know, he kind of makes us cynical of these things that happen. And taunts us, particularly, I would say, in the issue of mental health. And yes, I am going to go there. Because I think we're afraid to talk about it. But what was fascinating in Rachel's story was to hear how her mind had affected her whole body. Dear friends, Goliath taunts us. You'll never get free of that. You'll never be right in your mind. You'll never be... Your mother was like that. Your grandmother was like that. They're all like that in your family. And he taunts us. He comes against us. He does it in all sorts of areas. He does it with our gospel proclamation as well. Some, we've, got, we've, we've lost the, the, the awesomeness of the gospel in terms of proclaiming the way, the truth, and the life. The one way to God. And in a setting of pluralism and a setting of tolerance and, you know, where everyone's tolerant about everything apart from Christianity, of course, which we're very not tolerant about that. But we're tolerant about everything and you can't be intolerant. And you've got you've to be ever, oh, you can't say this one way to, oh, when we feel the pressure of the world and we can't say, and what would happen if, if our, that building we're hiring, if they get to hear that we say this about that and if they get to know that what we really believe about that, they'll think this. And we get taunted by these things, friends. We, we're on the back foot. We're not reckless in our faith like David was because we're listening to Goliath and we're listening to his taunts. We're listening to the lies of the enemy. That's what the enemy does. He lies. It's his native language. When he speaks, he lies. He speaks lie. That's his language. Right at the beginning, did God really say? He lies from the very beginning. It's fascinating to me, it says in the text that he wore scaly armor. Doesn't that remind you of someone? The liar at the beginning, the serpent in the garden, he lies. Goliath is a liar. 
It's not true, these things he's saying, and yet he's taunting. And we get filled with fear, and we get gripped with fear, and we get gripped with manipulation, and we get these things enter our mind. They start to affect our body. They affect our pocket. They affect how we live and our marriages and our lives, and they affect our churches. They affect our gospel proclamation. They affect our ability to lay hands on the sick, and it's going to come down. It's going to come down. We're not going to stand for these lies. See, the people of God have often looked at the wrong things. You see, Israel had a history of these things. In their previous meanderings and wanderings through the wilderness, they were brought to the point of the promised land by Moses, and Moses sent the spies into the promised land. And the the 12 spies went in and 10 came back with a very bad report. Do you remember? Two came back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb. But their voices were drowned out by the fear and intimidation of the others. And this is what it says in Numbers 13. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. Whoever said it was about you? Of course, you marvelously opened the Red Sea. You've marvelously provided manna every day. You've marvelously made the shoes not wear out. Oh, you've been very clever then, people. Who said it was about you? No, no. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And all the people we saw there were of great size. These were Goliath's predecessors. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And look the same to them. First of all, how do you know you look to them? How do you know what they saw? How do you know that? Because you're a fool. You're being intimidated by a lie, a fear. But first of all, you see yourself like that. And so many of us don't know our identity in Christ. So many of us don't know who we are. So many of us don't know the power and the glory of the resurrection life that pulses through our new created bodies, our new, creati- our new creation that's still in this old body, but the new creation that dwells within this flesh. Some, we just don't realize what's packed within. We just think we're grasshoppers. We think we're nothing. We think we're in our own eyes. We think we're pathetic. It's our perception. David was so different. David looked at the same facts, but saw things totally and utterly different. I mean, he saw Goliath, but he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who does this fellow think he is? Who does this chap think he is? Everyone saw a giant, but David saw a heathen. David saw someone who was not part of the covenant community of God. See, for David, this was a theological issue. You think, what? A theological issue? Yes, it was a theological issue. It was about God and the knowledge and study of God. This is about who God is and who the people of God are and the covenant that the living God has made with the people of God. And David looks at this guy and says, he ain't with us. We know that. But he's not you know, with us, the covenant people of God, the one the living God is with. He's not with us. We'll get him then. See, David viewed the same thing but he viewed it so differently. He saw that the battle was not theirs. See, that's the problem sometimes, friends. We think it's our finances, our illness, our friends who are going to hell, our problem, our difficulties. Our... This is not, David saw it correctly. He said, this is not your battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. This is the Lord's battle. This is the Lord's issue. 
It's not by sword or spear the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's. He'll give you into our hands. And David knew from personal experience the little battles. Dear friends, you've seen little battles. I mean, his little battles were quite impressive, lions and bears. But compared to Goliath taunting a whole army, a little battle. A few sheep winning over a lion and a bear. David had seen the faithfulness of God. He'd seen God's promise in action. Dear friends, have you not seen the promises of God in action? Have you not seen that goodness and mercy has followed you all the days of your life? Take a look back. See God's goodness. See God's hand. See his provision. And if he's provided thus far, will he not provide in the future? If he'd answered you yes before, will he not answer you yes again? If he's been kind and gracious and a good, good father before, will he not continue to be that? And David saw the faithfulness of God. Yeah, Goliath is big, but David's God is much bigger. Dear friends, we need a bigger vision of God. David will later write, when he's in one of his battles, one of his later songs, he'll write this. Psalm 34, oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, a magnifying glass doesn't actually make something bigger. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to come off the stage. I've never done that before, but I'm going to. They won't even better follow me here. But this is my friend Roger. And Roger has some distinguishing features. You probably can't see the shadow here. In fact, some of you have probably been in the shadow uh, uh, here. But Roger has a distinguishing feature. Uh, right, It's as plain as the nose on his face, to be honest with you. It's just right there. It's a distinguishing feature. Cheryl loves it, but Roger has a big nose. I'm sorry to say it, but it's just true. Now, if I get... Now, you know what's happening here. Everyone, everyone, loves, everyone loves Roger, which is great. He didn't know I was doing this, but he's my friend. Well, was my friend. <laughs> if I put a magnifying glass up to Roger's nose, does the nose get any bigger? Who said yes? <laughs> no, it doesn't. The nose stays the same side. I do worry about you. But my perception of it changes, right? This is the thing about magnifying the Lord. It's our perception that needs to change. The Lord is big. The Lord is mighty. The Lord is great. The Lord is huge. We don't need to make him bigger, but we need to make him bigger in our eyes. We need to see him differently. We need the perception of the Lord to change. Israel's problem was never Goliath. What? What do you mean our problem isn't Goliath? Your problem isn't your finances. Your problem isn't your sickness. Your problem isn't that unbelieving relative. Your problem isn't that job. That per your problem is you've got too small a view of God, too small a faith, too small an understanding of who God is. And I pray this weekend that God would open your eyes to the glory of his majesty. I prayed, open your eyes to who he is, his magnificence, his power, his authority, who he is, the glory of God. See, we need his magnificence to be viewed differently. We need our perspective to change. It's just like that time in Kings with Elisha, with his servant. Do you remember when the whole army was encamped around them? Do you remember it? It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. The servant went out 
and an army and horses had surrounded the city. It's like he sends the servant out for a pint of milk, and oh my goodness, there's, there's an army out here, and there's horses, and there's chariots, and they're surrounding the city. Oh my Lord, that's what he says. He was Jewish. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? Not a racist joke, just true. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? Stop, stop being Fagan. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? Don't be afraid. See, it's fear. It starts in the mind. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. No, they're not. There's two of us. There's an army out there with horses and chariots. And you can imagine Elisha praying, Oh, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. He goes, whoa, they're greater with us. Yes, we need our eyes open to the greatness of God and his works and his acts and the power that comes from his throne. Now, David had the right perspective. That was point one, by the way. Point two, David... I even look at some notes sometimes. I don't really know where they're here, but they're just to make you feel like I've got something to say. <laughs> David used the right weapons, which is really important. Not Saul's weapons, not worldly weapons. See, sometimes we fight God's battles, spiritual battles, with worldly, fleshly weapons. Intellect, reason, cunning, compromise, negotiation, wheeling and dealing and finance and money and strength. Not that any of those things necessarily are wrong. They're just not the weapons that we fight with. They are not spiritual weapons. You see, Goliath had all the armor, but none of the armor of God. Goliath had all the weapons, but none of the weapons of God. Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 6, 7. We have weapons of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds and to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Notice it's all about the mind, the knowledge of God, the pretentious arguments. We have weapons to destroy that. Well, what was the weapon that, we haven't got time to look at all this, but what was the weapon that David used? It was the name of the Lord. Verse 45, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you've defied. What does that mean, the name of the Lord? Well, it means who God is. God's name is his character revealed and wrapped up in a promise to bless his people. See, there's many names of God in the Bible. Things like Jehovah Jireh. We know that one. He's my or our provider. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord is our healer. Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is our battle for battle cry, our, our battle banner for warfare. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is our shepherd. Jehovah Tzidkenu, oh, this is one I can never say. Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah Shammah, 
the Lord is with us. These are names of God. And they're not just names like, oh, he's called Fred. No, it's not kind of that name. It means something of his character that is revealed to us to bless us. We could also talk about Jesus' names, light of the world, resurrection, way, truth, life, prince of peace, lamb of God. We could talk all day about the names of Jesus, the names of God in the Bible. And David knew who his God was. And I think when he took these stones, it was like selecting names of God. It was like taking promises of God. It was like taking God's words. It was like taking who God is. Because David could have said, you come at me with a javelin, I come at you with a sling. He doesn't. He says, I come at you with the name of the Lord. That represented the name of the Lord. It wasn't just a stone to David, it was the name of the Lord. What, what promises do you think David came at? I've been looking at this, I've been thinking, I've just been thinking, what promises could have been in David's mind? Here's one, Leviticus 24, 16. You won't find this on a poster in the Bible store. Anyone who blasphemes in the name of the Lord, and that's what Goliath has been doing, must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him. See, I think that's one. I think, here's a stone. The word of God says, if you're a blasphemer, I'm going to stone you. You're coming down. What with? The promise of the Lord, the name of the Lord, the promises of God. Here's another one. This is Samuel's mum. Does anyone know who Samuel's mum is? Hannah. Okay, just a few chapters before. David would have known this because Samuel was his mentor at this time. Samuel had spent time with David. Sa- Hannah's song is beautiful in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah's song says this. It's God who breaks the bows of warriors. It's God who gives life and gives death. And it's God who shatters those who oppose him. I think that's what he said. You oppose God, we're going to shatter you then. You're coming against us with a bow, with some art, we're going to take you down. But I think it was this one. This is the best one. Because I think we get a hint in the writer when he says, Goliath had scaly armour. Sibilant, scaly armour. See, I think David knew the promise... I think David knew that it says in Genesis chapter 3 that one day the seed of the woman would come. And although the serpent, the scaly one, will try and strike his heel, actually you shall crush his head. That's what he comes with. I believe it. I believe he's coming with the promises of God. Now, dear friends, we need to ask God for promises. We need to ask God... The Bible is not just a storybook for our entertainment. It's promises that God speaks to us to equip us to live for him. Dear friends, we need to know that. Now, I want to bring this right the way through. David brought this right the way through to complete victory. This is such an important point. David knocked Goliath down with the sling and the stone. It's not quite clear from Scripture. In fact, several of the theological books that I read said it's not clear if, if Goliath died from the stone or whether he was just knocked down by the stone. But I'll tell you what he definitely died of. 
There's no question about it. I've checked it with doctors. You take the head off, it's dead. And he brought the battle right through. Now, we laugh, but I think this is the truth. We get a little bit of victory over the enemy. And I think the enemy almost likes us sometimes to have a little bit of victory. It's like we'll let you have a goal because we kind of know that once you... I mean, I'm not a football fan at all, but I just see it happen time and time again. They, they score a goal, and then the team kind of, oh, we scored it, we relax, and then suddenly, bang, 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 the enemy's put three in theirs. Listen, we've got to keep bringing the battle to the enemy. We've got to keep bringing it through to completion. Goliaths must fall. They must have their heads taken off. You see, if not, Goliath will get up again. See, Sam, uh, Saul was told to do one thing very important. He was told this, kill, and, and I know it's all sorts of problems. It gives you all sorts of ethno-cleansing issues, which we could talk about in another setting. Alan Rose will be brilliant at talking about this. But he says this, kill all the Amalekites. And Saul thinks he knows best. I've kept a few precious ones back, some ones that I quite like. Do you know who finally killed Saul? An Amalekite. If you do not defeat and bring the enemy down and take his head off, he can arise. There were three places in the history of the people of God taking the land under Joshua. Three places that it's recorded in Joshua chapter 11 that Joshua did not take. Three places are mentioned specifically. One is a place called Gaza. Oh, and we know what troubles there have been there. But Samson died in Gaza. Another one was called Ashdod. Ashdod were the people who received the stolen ark of God. Guess where the third place was? Gath. If you do not do the job properly, if we do not bring it through to completion, things have a nasty habit of coming back and biting us. Our Goliaths must be knocked over. They must be put to death. They must be totally destroyed. There must be no mercy with these things. Dear friends, we're not to put up with a little bit of success. We're to see these things finally come down. Now let me bring this last point home and we're going to respond. The whole point of this story, you would probably think, is that you would be like a David. That you would be like him. Actually, this whole story is not about you. Oh, I thought it was all about me. This whole story is about Jesus. This whole story is about Christ. This whole story is a beautiful picture of who our Lord Jesus is. You see, Goliath shouts, give me a man. The word is, give me a mediator. Give me a representative of the people. There was one representative that came. There was one mediator that did come. There was one man that Pilate could say, behold the man. There was one who came where actually even prophesying because of his office, the high priest could say, it is right for the one man to die for the people. There came again a shepherd 
from Bethlehem. There came again one who was rejected by his brothers, but was anointed with the Spirit of God. There came again once a mediator who would give his life. This story isn't about you. This story is about Jesus. This story is about him. It really is. And the reason the Son of God came was not to show some lovely lifestyle. I mean, boy, did he show a lovely lifestyle, but that wasn't the reason he came. The reason the Son of God comes, John says it, is to destroy the works of the devil, to behead the devil. I don't know whether you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ. It's kind of an interesting film. It's a little gory. 18 certificate. Oh, dear. It was kind of... Certain bits of it were very biblical. I'm just going to tell you one bit that was so not biblical, but was so biblical. And it's when Jesus in Gethsemane is kneeling and praying. And the cross is upmost in his mind. And he says, Father, I don't know if I can quite go through with this. Father, is there any other way? Can this cup be removed from me? Great sweats, great drops of blood. But actually, Father, no, I embrace your will, not my will, not my way, but yours be done, your will be done. I embrace it. And what happens in the whole thing gets very moody at that point. The darkness, the mood music, and the whole darkness thing happens. And then suddenly, under Jesus' robe, something sinister is happening. You kind of sense it by the music. They're brilliant, these film score writers. And you can sense there's something sinister happening under Jesus' robe. There's a, there's a slithering. There's a, there's a movement. There's something happening. And you want to shout, watch out, Jesus! There's a snake behind you! He's going to get you. He's going to bite your heel. Watch out! Jesus stands up, pulls his cloak together, and with one almighty thud goes, and the snake is crushed. Great picture. In a few hours' time, nailed to a cross, the snake was crushed. He was beheaded. It says this in Colossians 2, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. You think, no, it's the other way around, isn't it? No, actually the cross was a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, I said it was interesting, that last verse. It's always worried me, this. I thought, it's a weird verse. Why did he take the head? Well, I knew why he takes the head off. Bring it to total victory. Why does he take it to Jerusalem? It's like, that's a weird place to take the head on a little holiday, a little, little tour, the tour of the head. Where are we going next with the head? Oh, I think we'll, go, we'll, do, uh, we'll do Jericho. Uh, Bethlehem was nice at this time of year, and I think Jerusalem's a lovely place to take the head. Why does he take the head to Jerusalem? I'll tell you why he takes the head to Jerusalem. Lee preached on it last night, because Jerusalem is the place of Mount Moriah. Jerusalem is the place where Abraham didn't sacrifice his son, but prophetically, one son would come in the future and one son would give his life. The head goes to Jerusalem because it's in Jerusalem that the head of the real serpent is going to come off. The thing's going to come off. The cross is total. Goliath's head has come off, dear friends. And it was final and it was total. I'll tell you where we get in the picture. We get in the picture in two ways. Firstly, 
We are in Christ. We are in David. We are in Jesus. We are incorporated into his victory. And we also get incorporated into his body, into his army. And it said the army rushed forward and they plundered Gath. They took the city and they plundered it. Dear friends, tonight we're going to make a call for people who feel intimidated by Goliath. People who feel intimidated by the enemy who is defeated, but you still feel intimidated by him. We're going to give a call for people who feel intimidated by finances. And you feel finances are this mighty thing that's coming over you and intimidating you. And we're going to stand and we're going to say, no, we're in Christ. We're in the victor. We're in the army of God. We're going to see these things defeated because they have been defeated on the cross. And we get the amazing privilege of pressing in and then defeating the whole army. Every one of Goliath's cohorts is then defeated because David took out Goliath. Our greater David, David's greater son, has taken Goliath out. He's taken the enemy out. We go and get to take out all the principalities powers. We go to step on them. We go to see their heads taken off. We go to take the plunder. We go to press in and to plunder. The strong man has been bound. We get to press in and take his goods. We get to see healings and deliverances. We get to see financial things turn around. That battle, that struggle you've got in your mind, actually God says it's going to change just like it did for Rachel. It's going to come down. Wrong thinking is going to change. Right thinking is going to come and that's going to no longer intimidate you. Dear friends, this cynicism that so grips the British Isles, that so grips our hearts, that we say, oh, revival, yeah, seen it all done. Yeah, right, yeah, right. No, it's going to come down. We're going to be a people of faith. We're going to believe God. We're going to see things happen. Dear friends, we are in Christ. We're in David. We're in the victory. Losers on that day got to become winners. Losers get to become winners because we're in Christ. We're in David and we're in his army. I'm always praying about this, how to land this, how to apply this to our lives. I'm going to do two things. First thing, we're going to pray, but also I'm going to ask the band to come up and I'm going to ask Sharon, Cameron, just to come up. Because God has given Sharon a song to sing. And so often in the Bible, there are songs of victory sung over the people of God to celebrate what he's done. Miriam's song. Actually, Hannah's song. There's great victories that are celebrated in song. And I would just love Sharon to sing this over us. But first of all, we need to know who the us are. So if you feel that you've been intimidated by Goliath. If you feel that Goliath's roar has caused you to quake with fear, it might be something to do with a sickness. It might be something to do with a financial issue. It might be something to do with a relational issue. It might be something to do with a compromise. It might be something to do with an inability to proclaim the gospel clearly because you're in fear and intimidation. If you feel, I get gripped by these things in my mind. My mind seems to affect my body. I, I somehow listen to these lies. I somehow get caught up in this thing and I want it to stop. I'm, I want to align myself with Rachel. I want to say, no, this is not what I believe I should experience in Christ, in the army of God. We're saying no to these things tonight. If that's you, please would you stand to your feet right now.
There's going to be lots of us, friends. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompany it. Dear friends, as Sharon comes and sings over us, just lift your hands. Those of you standing, just lift your hands. I want to declare over you that you are not an intimidated people. I want to declare over you that you are a people in Christ. You're joined to the victor. You're joined to the one who took the head off the snake, the serpent. That's who you are, friends. That's your new identity in Christ. It's you are now the people of God in the army of God who are going to press in and press forward and plunder and take back all the enemy has stolen. That's who you are. That's not what you're going to become. It's not some change that's going to happen. That's who you already are. You are in Christ. You are the victors. You are in this one who has overcome. And because of that, we're going to see victory. Because of that, even as Sharon sings, things are going to happen. Demons are going to flee. Sickness is going to go. Things are going to change.